Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 45. Last week, I covered Samson's foxes along with the places Lehi and the Sarik Valley. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up with the story of the migration of Dan. And with that, let's get started. Next up is the story of Micah and the idol that went along with him. In the foreground of this story is the tribe of Dan, with Micah setting the stage of Dan's migration from southern to northern Israel. So, first things first, the precursor story. From Judges 17. There was a man who lived in the hill country of Ephraim, named Micah. He said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and even spoke it in my hearing, that silver is in my possession. I took it, but now I will return it to you. And I'm going to pause here just for a second. The structure and therefore telling of this story is of an unusual construction, making me wonder if it's a different writer or if something has been lost or survived over the past 3,000 or so years. I'll get to that towards the end of the episode. Back to the story. His mother said, May my son be blessed by the Lord. Then he returned the silver to his mother. She replied, I consecrate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make an idol of cast metal. So, when he returned the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into an idol of cast metal. And the idol was kept in the house of Micah. That's what's known as Micah's idol. Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and a teraphim and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All of the people did what was right in their own eyes. That last part, about everyone doing what was right in their own eyes, is likely the most often repeated part of the story. After this, a switching of gears. There was a young Levite man of Bethlehem living in Judah meaning he was also living with the tribe of Judah. The text is actually redundant, possibly signaling this was an important point. We're not told why he left his house, but we are told that he went to live wherever he could find a place. Make of that what you will. Eventually, he made his way to Micah's house, which was in the hill country of Ephraim. He was there to carry on his work, and, as a Levite, This meant being a priest. Micah said to him, From where do you come? He replied, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to live wherever I can find a place. Micah replied, Stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, and a set of clothes, and your living. Compare that to his taking 1,100 shekels from his mother, and you can quickly see the amount stolen was over a century's wages. The Levite agreed to the terms, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. With that, he installed the Levite as his priest, and the young man lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, 
Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because the Levite has become my priest. And that little bit is the entirety of Judges 17. No new people, places, or things to cover. Chapter 18 picks up with Dan deciding to head up and move out. From the text. In those days, there was no king in Israel, implying that in the future there was a king, and the writer knew it, meaning the book was written at a later date. Possibly due to this lack of a leader, or certainly other factors, the tribe of Dan was seeking for itself a territory to live in, for according to Judges, no territory among the tribes of Israel had been allotted to them. And I'm going to pause here for a second. Judges said that they received no allotment. Joshua 19, though, recounts something different. Essentially, that Dan was the last tribe to receive its territorial inheritance. The land originally allocated to Dan was a small enclave in the central coastal area of Canaan between Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and the Philistines. This allocation was not very large. Adding to that, it would only get smaller as the Philistines grabbed more and more territory. Towards the end, meaning in this part of the text, the tribe was only able to camp in the hill country overlooking the Sorek Valley, the camp location becoming known as Mahanadan, literally the Camp of Dan. The region they were trying to settle at this time extended south to the Shephelah, in the area of Timnah. So, how to reconcile Joshua and Judges, allotment or not? The general thinking is that they were unable to secure the territory given them, and the writer of Joshua is providing a simple explanation. Our some text was lost between when the events happened and Judges was finally written down. Essentially, it was something possibly being lost when it was being passed as oral history. Back in the narrative, the Danites would send five brave men, specifically from the cities of Zorah and Eshtile, to spy out the land and to explore it. When they came to the hill country of Ephraim, then to the house of Micah, they stayed there. While they were at Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they went over and asked him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? To me, it's interesting they recognized his voice, and even more so that he was never said to have been from Dan, or even the area around it. It may be that they recognized his accent, or syntax, and knew he wasn't from Ephraim. The priest answered the men, saying, Micah did such and such for me, and he hired me, and I have become his priest. That's the literal quote, such and such. The men said to him, Inquire of God that we may know whether the mission we are undertaking will succeed. The priest answered, Go in peace. The mission you are on is under the eye of the Lord. With that, the men left. The five men went on, and when they came to Laish, they observed the people who were living there, living securely, after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet, unsuspecting, lacking nothing, and possessing wealth. Furthermore, they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with Aram. 
all of this indicating they were politically isolated and therefore vulnerable. Eventually, the men made it back to their relatives in Zora and Eshtile, delivering their report, telling the Danites that they had seen the land and it was very good. They then encouraged their brethren to take up arms and to do it with haste. If they do, they will come to an unsuspecting people and will also find a broad land lacking nothing and that God will give it into their hands. 600 armed Danite men set out from Zora and Eshtile, making their way to Kiriath Jehoram in Judah, where they encamped. From there, they passed on to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. While they were on their way, the five spies told their comrades, Do you know that in these buildings there are an ephod, a teraphim, and an idol of cast metal? Now, therefore, consider what you will do essentially baiting their brethren to steal the loot. While the 600 armed men stood by the entrance of the gate to Micah's house, the five spies entered and took the booty. The Levite priest was standing by the gate when this went down. When the men went into Micah's house to loot, the priest asked them, What are you doing? They replied, Keep quiet. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one person, or to be the priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? The priest took them up on their offer. Granted, it feels a little coerced. When he left, he took the ephod, the teraphim, and the idol, and went along with the people, giving the Danites plausible deniability of committing the crime. With this, the Danites resumed their trek, accompanied by their families, livestock, and household goods. In fact, all of that placed at the front of the line. My take on the order they traveled is that they were more concerned with an attack from the rear, potentially from Micah and the Ephraimites, than an attack from someone along the way. And given their recent behavior, this was likely a valid assumption, especially considering what happened next. When they were quite a distance from Micah, his neighbors came out, armed up, and sped toward the Danites. When they got there, they shouted to the Danites, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter that you come up with such a company? Micah replied, You take my gods that I have made in the priest and go away, and what have I left? How then can you ask me, What is the matter? The Danites replied, you had better not let your voice be heard among us, or else the hot-tempered ones will attack you, and you will lose your life along with the lives of those in your household. With that threat made, the Danites proceeded on their way. When Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. The warriors eventually reached Laish, which they attacked and burnt to the ground. The Danites rebuilt the town, named it Dan, installed the idols, and made Jonathan the son of Gershom and his descendants the priest. It's assumed, but not explicitly stated, that Jonathan was the priest that had previously served Micah. Jonathan, followed by his descendants, would remain the priest to the Danites until they fell into captivity. Researchers posit this was until the Assyrians, led by Tiglath-Pileser III, conquered them, 
around 733 BC. And there's a nugget in here. This means that, at a minimum, this part of Judges was written at that time, not when the events such as Micah and his idol happened some several hundred years earlier. There is a small contingent of researchers who believe that the captivity mentioned here in Judges is a typographical error and should be read the time of the captivity of the Ark, referring to the Battle of Ebenezer when the Philistines captured the Ark, and that the ceasing of the house of God being in Shiloh refers to this also, referencing the last line in the chapter that the Danites maintained as their own Micah's idol that he had made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. This would place the writing of Judges during the time of the judge Samuel and just before Saul became king, essentially hundreds of years earlier than the time of the Assyrian captivity. I'm going to pause here for a second, as this gives me a good place to circle back to one thing, slightly over a chapter earlier, what's become known as Micah's idol. Earlier in this episode, I recounted how Micah, who lived in the region of the Ephraim, possibly at Bethel, had stolen 1,100 silver shekels from his mother, but when she cursed about it, he returned them. The mother then consecrated the money to God for the purpose of creating a carved image and silver idol. She gave 200 shekels to a silversmith who made them into that idol. These were placed in a shrine in Micah's house, and he made an ephod and a teraphim, and installed one of his sons as priest. Then the Levite came along and became his priest, displacing his son. There is much scholarship dissecting the text, with most of these attempting to rearrange the narrative and also attempting to demonstrate how this part of the book potentially has a couple of different authors separated by hundreds of years. I'll avoid most of that. The one I found most interesting attempts to address a particular problem I had understanding how the beginning of the story unfolded, with Micah stealing his mom's silver. In that explanation, a proposed original order is that the mother first consecrated the silver to God, and only then did her son own up to the theft, with the consecration of the silver likely being a ploy by the mother to get the son to admit what he had done. A proposed support of this is that she only puts up a fraction of the silver to the purpose it was consecrated for. There's also the proposal that most of the narrative is designed as a slur on the sanctuary at Dan. Later in the history, this temple would become a significant sanctuary in the kingdom of Israel, complete with idols that many saw as being against God's law, as relayed by Moses. To support this theory, it's notable that nearly everyone in the story is portrayed to one degree or another in a negative light. Micah is a thief. His mother consecrates 1,100 shekels, only gives 200 of them for the purpose for which they were consecrated. The mother has molten and graven idols created, violating their prohibition. The tribe of Dan steals the idols. The Levite is disloyal and Dan brutally conquers and destroys the peaceful and defenseless city of Laish. Slightly outside the biblical narrative in rabbinic literature, Micah makes a few appearances. 
Classical rabbinical sources read that Micah was among the people during the Exodus. Some rabbinical sources claim that Micah took the idol with him from Egypt, while others argue that he only took the silver from which the idol was later made. All of this would mean he, somehow, managed to make it through the 40 years of wandering when we're told elsewhere only Joshua and Caleb did, and then lived for some time afterwards, potentially hundreds of years. There's also the tradition that it was Micah who caused the golden calf to be made. In this belief, Moses retrieved Joseph's coffin from the Nile by throwing a splinter into the river in the wilderness. And Micah retrieved the splinter after this. Micah then threw the splinter into the fire which Aaron had cast the gold into, causing a golden calf to come out. Also in that literature, and despite his clear idolatry, Micah was not treated as a completely negative figure and was highly praised for his hospitality. In one source, God prevents angels from casting down Micah's idol simply because of Micah's kindness. Finally, in the 20th century writing, The Legend of the Jews, authored by American Lewis Ginsburg, he theorized that Micah's mother was none other than Delilah and that the Philistines bribed her with the 1,100 shekels for Samson's secret. Do note, this is nowhere to be found in the text. And with that small bit, I'll call it an episode. Join me next week when I'll get to the other people and places found in Micah's story. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, If you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.